What's up, OBR Film Breakdown listeners? Before we get to today's show, just a reminder about the $100 in free bets over at the number one sportsbook, FanDuel Sportsbook. Use the promo code OBR today to claim that $100 in free bets. Again, that's promo code OBR at FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. You must be 21 or older, President Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio on 1-1-2023. Unique user identification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER. Now, the latest on the OBR Film Breakdown podcast. Hi guys, welcome into today's show. It is your Thursday, November 17th, OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. We're going to be welcoming in Jordan Zerm in just a moment. Again, a reminder of things we've got going on at the OBR right now. An interesting day of articles, including our weekly power ranking, some notes on Deshaun Watson's first practice as he returns back to the Browns two weeks ahead of his suspension lifted. Uh, we had some analytics review, which from that analytics review, the OBR team found some interesting data, some staggeringly unfortunate data that shows that the Browns are actually playing some of the worst run defense as far as we could go back, 2005. They are allowing the highest, through 10 weeks, the highest EPA per rush, designed rush, for any team. Flat out period since 2005. So it is a historically bad run defense going on in Cleveland right now that was perpetuated um, through week 10 in an embarrassing fashion, which we have talked about ad nauseum this week. But when you find that sort of data, Jordan, as I welcome you in, it is really hard to ignore it. And I'm sure it ties into your feelings. And I'd like to get your just quick thoughts on what happened in the previous week's game, a 39-17 drubbing down in Miami. Yeah, man. Um, it was one of the first weeks of season I'd found myself really just sort of checking out in the second half, much like uh, much like maybe the Browns defense checked out. But yeah, I just like, man, it was hard to it was hard to really feel any strong emotion about it because it was just such a, you know, like every time they ripped off a run, you just I, all I could do is just sort of shrug my shoulders, especially as it started to like get going and, and really go downhill. So, I mean, I don't have too much to add other than just like, you know, some of the screenshots that you put out this week are, I mean, they're kind of funny. If it, it, I guess maybe I'm laughing to hide the pain, but they are fairly hilarious. There's one where Miles Garrett looks like he's breakdancing. There's another where uh, Taven Bryant is, I don't know, three miles downfield and has no idea where the running back is. That was another really good one. Um, it's just like, it's hard to... It's jarring. I haven't, yeah it's jarring. I haven't seen them play sort of, we've had some bad defensive performances, especially this season, but even, I mean, even throughout the last, the last few years, like there's been games where they've been really poor defensively, but this was just like the way they were, I mean, and you, you summed it up really nicely, but the way that like guys are just getting moved uh, without really any resistance whatsoever. Uh, it didn't matter to see, you know, what scheme the dolphins were running. Although, you know, to your, to your point, they started running uh, a lot of uh, what the specific running play that they continued to run at the Browns, which was, and I'm blanking on, um, but you, just your article zone, sort just of covered it. Zone, yeah, split zone right? stuff. Like, yep. Like, <laughs> and just like doing the same thing over and over again, because like one, there's no adjustments being made. And two, 
there's just guys getting moved off of their spots and they can't get off blocks. And I mean, you just like for a team that has, you know, no disrespect, but like Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson, who literally just got to Miami, like probably knows one fourth of the playbook (laughs) for those guys to just run like that against this Browns defense. is pretty depressing, man. And, um, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. You and I have touched on this. It's just like the defense is broken, and I and I don't know, like there, I don't know how you fix it. Like you, you're not going to add anybody significant that's going to make a difference. This is the group that you have. It's really hard watching the interior line and the linebackers sort of attempt to play against the run, um, and just in general, there's just like the instincts are bad, the the eyes are bad, everything's really bad, and. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I don't know until you get to the off season how you make any significant changes here or things get get better um, because teams are just gonna you know Miami's this is a blueprint right now to just you know to just run it down their throats and then you're gonna get whatever you want off play action or or through the air and like so yeah man it was tough but I just really it was hard for me to get worked up about it because it was so bad that it was just like well I I mean this whole thing is just it's shot it's shot from a a scheme and sort of personnel point it's shot from where the defense and you and I've talked about this earlier in the season that I just don't think the defense, there's no camaraderie. There's no, um, doesn't seem like there's relationships on that side of the ball. Like there's just a lot of uh, every man individually. Um, So all of it's just really bad and it's, it's disappointing. I mean, I don't think any of us, I think there was some hope after that Bengals game, like, okay. Uh, And then, you know, I think any of that is now out the window and it's sort of like, well, what do you do now? How do you evaluate? How do you make changes going into the off season? Because it doesn't matter what Deshaun's going to be able to do if, you know, next season this defense is playing like this again. So, uh, yeah, pretty discouraging, man. That's that's really about as well as I can put it. It is discouraging in, in a sense that, like, I, I, can't, I couldn't believe the ease at which some of this stuff, and I've rewatched it several times, did a chalk talk show on it Tuesday night. Like, I just... I don't even know what to say. They feel like, I feel like they have no idea what run schemes are coming based on how they're being blocked, like linebackers with really slow eyes. And if Miami didn't want to throw it in that game, they could have run for 325 or more. Like they just wanted to throw still too. I mean, I think two is still through like 32 times, I think. So like they mm-hmm. wanted to still throw, but if they committed like, we're going to, we're going to land a Falcons this thing and give give two a like 15 pass attempts they could have run for 320 there was no resistance and no game plan for how to alter it they never really adjusted to bare front stuff they did it one time what I mean by that is bringing a fifth D lineman in but like I just I have no clue what their thought process is especially in-game adjustments and to your point the personnel is a problem like you know Tommy Togiai is not a guy that should be playing in the NFL like he's a practice squad guy at best uh, Jordan Elliott continues to struggle. Taven Bryan had one of his worst games in a Browns uniform. I just, I don't think to your point again, it doesn't get fixed this year. I, there's just no way they can bring Ben Stilley. St- I don't know. Ben, I always think Ben Stiller, who they brought from Miami's practice squad uh, to Cleveland. I've been making as many like along came Polly jokes as I possibly can this week, but uh, you know, I just, I, it doesn't get fixed and how they, how they're able to exchange resources in the off season to improve it, how they're able to, perhaps change coordinators to improve it. I don't know, man, but it is a problem. And the thing that makes you most concerned is on ESPN's, I, I think they do this called matchup, I think is what they do. It's Dan Orlovsky and Ryan Clark and Marcus Spears and uh, Mina Kimes is involved too. And they do a great job. And today they put out some interesting data that was sort of parallel 
to the stuff we're talking about with the Browns struggles, which is that across the NFL, Jordan, it is the lowest yards per um, completion number since 1933, only 11 yards per completion across the entire league. Like that's a jaw dropping number in the modern era of passing the football to have it that low since 1933. It is the 4.5 yards per carry number is the single highest. I think since like, uh, I can't remember the exact number, but there's another staggering amount of years. And so it puts in perspective that the league is shifting to runs and they did an even deeper dive that not only is the league shifting to runs, they're also shifting to these certain run types. There's the wide zone and inside zone stuff is largely the same at about 4.2 yards per carry from the year before, but there's an entire yard to a yard and a half uptick in gap runs, power counter, which is especially damning for team like the Browns who have defensive linemen who cannot anchor the line of scrimmage, who are unable to keep double teams off their linebackers. And that is the stuff that is the most concerning. And it's to me, what's interesting, Jordan, is the offense clearly saw some form of this coming. Nick Chubb signed him another deal. Two guards, pullers, inked them two longer deals, have prioritized offensive line for a while at the sacrifice of wide receiver. And even as we're seeing this year, tight end depth. So how my question is, did did the Browns just not think that defense was going to be that their defense was going to need to address it in a similar fashion that they thought the rest of the league was just going to continue to you know hey teams are playing a bunch of nickel even more dime than ever hey they're probably going to look to run the football right like that's that's the answer if teams are sitting with seven defensive backs on the field too high taking away a bunch of downfield passing options hey it's probably best to just gap scheme these guys double team pull for the play side and just run it down their throat and that's like it's weird to me that their offense seems to have the personnel identified to fix it but they have not really targeted defensive personnel to fix it and have overloaded defensive backs to which I like, but they have not invested really any resources outside of JOK meaningful resources because Anthony Walker, cheap deal, late round pick on Jacob Phillips draft picks uh, a defensive tackle, late third, fourth round guys. They have not invested anything meaningful to see the other side of that coin, which is just so weird to me that on offense, they see it, but they couldn't see anything like this coming. Now it's this, I guess there's two questions here. How big a failure is that, Jordan? And then also, did did like nobody see this coming for the league? Like, I just I think it's so weird. Is this just an aberration to- type of year? Like, it just is a one off, and it's going to return to high flying passing offenses because that's the philosophical debate. If you did not look at it, uh, the conversation's about ten minutes long. It's on Dan Orlovsky's Twitter feed. You can go check that out. I think it's well worth your time to see what's going on in the NFL this year. It's just it's a really fascinating thing because. The Browns are struggling with this exact thing on defense while thriving with the exact opposite on offense. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think those are all really great points. I mean, I think, you know, the the thought that it it is fascinating that they built their offense in this way to sort of become sort of this modern this modern offense that still employs these two great running backs and and take advantage of that. And then for them to just sort of ignore, especially the defensive interior um, on the other side of the ball and, and see these results is very like that is a that is a wild disconnect when it's happening, you know, every day for three years uh, in your offense with what Kevin Stefanski kind of brought for Minnesota and brought here to the Browns. And I, I mean, I think the question of like, is this an aberration, I think is really is really interesting, too, because part of me feels like, all right, a lot of these teams, when they saw like what happened to the Chiefs last season, where, you know, everybody was like, oh, they're, you know, they're playing they're playing too deep uh, and and they really were able to slow the chiefs down to an extent. And then that sort of became like this, this really big narrative of, 
uh, all of these teams, all of these defenses now starting to play more too high and, you know, trying to slow down the pass. And I, and I think like that is a product of um, a reaction to, you know, the past four or five years of offenses just completely taking off. But I, I feel like part of that has now resulted in, you know, the yards per carry going up, the runs per game going up. And, you know, as a result, like scoring across the league is just down because I think, you know, as, as you and I have talked about, I think as other people know, like the more you run, you know, the more time you're going to take off the clock, the more possessions you're going to have, and you're just not going to have the same sort of scoring type uh, games that are, are hitting these, you know, 40, 45 point games on a regular basis like we've seen in the past because, you know, if that's how offenses are reacting to, okay, well, the defense did this. So this season, why don't we shift a little bit and, and try to run the ball more and do some things that way if they're not, if they're going to have light boxes. But I, I wonder if like, it's also just been a, a down year for quarterbacks in general. Like you look at like that, I don't think has to do with sort of defensive coverages for a lot of it. Like I think Matthew Stafford is just one. He's injured. He was injured going into the season. He's injured again, um, really struggling in LA compared to, you know, lighting it up last season. I think like you've seen the struggles with Brady, although he seems to be coming on a little bit and you've seen the struggles with Rogers. And a lot of that is like, he has all rookie wide receivers around him. Um, you know, you lose a huge piece of that offense in Devonte Adams. So I feel like there are a lot of factors, Jake, that are sort of around this. Um, that could make this year sort of an outlier in terms of like how often teams are running the ball and how much success they're having. Because I do think that like passing is, is still and will remain king for, for the foreseeable future. But having said that, there's a difference between, I think I tweeted this with, for the Browns, there's a difference between t- making the bet that ignoring slash, you know, I don't want to say ignoring that that's strong, but like not putting as many resources into the uh, a position like the defensive interior, because you think that the import it, it's more important to fill out sort of the DB room, the secondary, and make sure you have a guy like Miles Garrett and Jadeveon Clowney on the outside. And, and that is a bet that I understand, you know, like that is something, a philosophy I can understand, but there's a difference between like making that bet, but still having playable guys on the inside and like what the Browns are, are trotting out right now, both sort of in the interior. And like you said, anybody outside of JOK, like there is a major difference in that. And I think they may have swung too far to that side because the res- and the results are telling you that you swung too far on that side. Now, like the DBs haven't played well. Nobody's really played well. Um, and, you know, Miles didn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to criticize Miles because I do think he is probably one of the, only bright spots on this defense and he's still having an incredible season, but even, you know, miles was a ghost in that game against the dolphins. Devion Clowney is, is not having anywhere. This was always the worry with like another year of Devion Clowney. who has been so inconsistent in his career is like, what are you getting from him this season? You're getting very little compared to what he gave you last year, which was probably one of the best years of his NFL career. So I think like if there was a mistake that the Browns made, it was, overlooking and trotting guys out, like you said, that, that may should not probably be on NFL rosters certainly should not be your starting interior defensive lineman. Um, So while I think that like there are factors outside of just some of those, you know, what's going on with the run game um, this season, I think we'll probably shift back to a more normalized version of it next year. Um, I do think that because of how many good running backs there are now, how many teams can rotate guys in and out, like to just sort of push that position to the side to the point of like you're playing JV guys <laughs> is probably uh, was a major oversight by by Andrew Barry and sort of the, the front office. 
It's what's interesting about it, man. And I think you, you made a lot of really good points there. It's like, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're right there to be five and four. And I said this with Jared yesterday, they have, okay. So you're telling me this is, you know, even if they lost this game and you only change two minor things on the year, just two minor things. Okay. I'm not even asking to change a bunch of results. Because the Jets game, if they recover that onside kick, the Jets just threw it. That had nothing to do with rush EPA. And if you make the kick against the Chargers, again, nothing to do with rush EPA. Those two, you're five and four. So, like, that's what's kind of mind-blowing to me is, and maybe what they would point at and laugh at you with if you called them complete idiots to their faces, we're two really unlucky bounces away from being, you know, five and four. And, yeah, we would still be disappointed there are parts of this thing that we have not seen go the way we thought or at least hoped they would. You could see where they're like, well, we re- we allocated resources here, and it didn't work out, but we're still playing competitive football. And if these guys just get better as the year wears on, you can see how we could be a contending team. Maybe not a real Super Bowl contender, but it would at least be in the realm of possibility. So that's what's even more mind-blowing and even more interesting to, to think about when you talk about how you have to be able to you have to be able to defend the run to win. Well, do you? Right. Because they're yep. banking on the flip side of it, which is, hey, we know we're going to struggle against the run some weeks, but we're going to allocate resources and do things offensively to beat you. And it's like they're not it's not they're not as stupid as we think they are, because they should be at a five and four clip. And, you know, you could you can argue the Panthers game. I totally understand that. But again, they blew two coverages that were just like they shouldn't have even let it get to that point. Nonetheless, but I just am like, are, and I again, I hate to hark on this again for everyday listeners to this pod because I got Jared's opinion on it. Yeah, it's just so interesting to say, even if this defense is the worst run defense since the turn of the century so far through 10 weeks of a season, it's not like they're one and eight, right? Like if you're yep. good in all these other places, you can be still a 10 and seven, 11 and six type of team. You know what I mean? That's what's crazy. Yep. No, it is. That's a great point. And there is some recency bias here too. I mean, that performance against the Dolphins was so bad and that's what's in everybody's mind right now that it becomes this, I mean, you know, you, you're on Twitter, you know, these things like the, this is what happens after a game like this, right? It's like, Oh, they have the worst run defense I've ever seen. How do they expect to ever win all this stuff? And that's why I sort of prefaced my, you know, past comment on our, that last segment where it's like, I am fully aligned with them on putting resources into other places because, you know, and, and kind of being like, can we get by, um, you know, with not, yeah, like we are going to be an average to below average team against the run, but we're making the bet that that's not going to matter as much. And we're still going to be able to win football games with resources elsewhere. And like you said, like there, <laughs> this season has been an, an insane ride up and down for them. And if certain things go certain ways, especially if like the DBs and secondary play, like I think a lot of people expected them to, where it seems like there's legitimate talent there. And for whatever reason, it's just not coalescing. Then yeah, we're looking at a different record and people are sort of singing the praises of a team that sort of held themselves together through this Jacoby Brissett era. So again, like I, I, I'm not so weird weird. (laughs) about, about like what their run, what the plan was for the run defense. I think really the only place for me where it's like, okay, Either they didn't know that guys like Tommy Toyai and, and some of these other guys in the interior, Jordan Elliott, either they thought there was going to be a development there that never happened. And now they're sort of, you know, they're stuck with what they have. Um, or they really just maybe made a, a, too much of an oversight in addressing that position. But again, like as a, a football building philosophy, 
what Andrew Barry sees and where they put their resources. Like I'm, I'm aligned and think that is smart. It just has come to a point now where, you know, because of what happened to the dolphins and some of these other games where they're just getting, where there's no resistance, you start thinking about it a little bit more. Yeah. You have to sacrifice in certain places. You cannot just have this all around great roster that is always going to dominate certain aspects of the game, but you you can't i guess what what they did is they really really risked their margin for error on run defense yep and in a year i guess it maybe is the perfect storm and maybe the karma gods of the Deshaun trade or whatever you want to say about that like coming out where the NFL is like oh hey we're just going to run it collectively as a, as a league this year we're going to pick this year to do high efficiency run game and it's it's just like oh of course this year where the browns said we're going to sacrifice in this area specifically is when the NFL commits to this sort of running approach. Right. So um, <laughs> anyway, it's, it's altogether hilarious and uh, weird. And, and, and I just, um, I, I don't know, man, it, I feel like we say that almost every year about the Browns season, but it is, it is like, wow, they could really be five and four and we would, you know, we'd be picking on some of the problems cause that's what we do. But you're five and four and, and you're right where you would want to be. So it's a, it's an interesting discussion and certainly one to track the rest of the way throughout the season, because the numbers are so staggering as far as a historical perspective for both the Browns individual run defense and the way teams are running the football uh, in the entire NFL and, and tracking it into next year, where I'm sure you and I will hearken back to this conversation and say, Oh, maybe it was a one-off or no truly because more defensive backs are coming in ready to play. There's more athletic safeties. There's more guys who can play pass defense than run defense anymore because you again track it back to high school. What are high school teams facing more and more spread offenses? They're coming into college uh, in the NFL with a more deep, rich understanding of how to play zone hook, curl flat, cover four quarters, uh, cover three. They're just, you talk about receivers coming into the league ready to go now more than ever and quarterbacks more in tune with it. Well, there's also the, the other side of that coin, which is DBs, linebackers and edge guys who are more tuned to doing that stuff at a younger age. So the balancing act of all of that and the way the NFL swings in, in whole is it's so fascinating. So we'll continue to track that as best we can when we look around the rest of the NFL. We're going to take our first break. We will be right back and check around the league and talk about some storylines that are out there. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, it's me, Jake, telling you again about the fantastic offer coming up from FanDuel, America's number one sports book, which is coming to the Buckeye State at the turn of the year. They're already available. If you go in, sign up, you get $100 in free bets with an early sign-up bonus. Now again, reminder, you cannot get this offer if you wait around and do it after the turn of the new year when, when it's a go-live date for sports betting in Ohio. You have to do it early. You get an early sign-up bonus by using the promo code OBR. 
very simple. Just OBR, get that sign-up bonus, right? Get $100 in free bets. Just have to download the FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app, safe, secure, super easy to use. I already do it for some of the shows that I do on Sundays just to look at lines and give advice. Download that app. Ohio, it's your chance to get in on the action. Join today. Again, promo code OBR. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Again, the disclaimer, 21 and older. You'll be present in Ohio. Bonuses issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1-1 of 2023. Unique user identity verification is required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, the Colts win one game, and boy, did the tweets come in, brother. They came in. Oh, Jeff- oh the takes were flying. Oh, they were flying. We had Edron James talking about how you don't have to be a politician to be president. Just fantastic. <laughs> Just top-notch content from Edron James, who uh, hilarious tweet. And then, you know, Jim Ursay saying what he wanted. It's one week, man. It's one week, guys. And you beat a Raiders team that is just falling apart and crumbling right in front of our face. And I just... They beat a, I, they really beat a have, I don't have anything... Had, really, <laughs> I was going to say, they beat a, Ra- a Raiders team that had Derek Carr crying in the postgame presser. If you, he, if, he you was need a, if you need a glimpse at how things are going in Las Vegas, so... Yeah, I don't even know. And that we'll get to the most disappointing team in the NFL um, in just a minute. But, like, I don't even know. I have no take on this Colts thing other than the hilarity of it. It's just, like, one game. It, and you guys are... Okay. Yeah. Gonna, okay. It, all right. Yeah, it's a um, it's a bold move to to uh, puff the chest out after one game. I mean, this Jake, this is such a natural thing that happens too. Whenever a coach gets fired somewhere, whether it's the NBA or the NFL or even a little bit in Major League Baseball, like that's what happened. The Phillies they fired Joe Girardi. They go on a run to the World Series. Like there is an initial sort of morale boost when a coach gets fired somebody else comes in that players either like or it's just a new voice or whatever and that first game man those first practices like there's just an emotional lift like this happens literally everywhere so one it's like i don't understand why there's this got freddie kitchen's job like (laughs) 100 exactly there's no better example than what freddie kitchen's did uh after the debacle that was hugh jackson so like one to me it's like this was so predictable that the Colts were going to come out. They were going to play really, really hard after hearing all this criticism about like, how dare they hire this, this guy off, you know, this guy off the street who has no coaching experience, whatever. Um, So one, that was like super predictable Two, Like we mentioned, they are playing the Raiders who just look like an absolute train wreck. Um, And who knows how that, how that this season will end for them. And then three, you guys are playing the Eagles next week. So I get your tweets off. Um, you're facing an Eagles team that lost and is probably upset that their undefeated season is over. So, you know, feel good about yourself, but like, man, it is just wild that like anything that happened in that game should be a referendum on like whether the hiring was good or bad. It's like, you can't, you just, you got to let this one game go, man. That's a morale victory. Like that's a victory for guys trying hard and you're playing a garbage team. Like if they lose 40 to nothing to the Eagles this weekend, I, which I would not be surprised, then it's going to be like, okay, so nothing actually changed. All right, great. So yeah, Ursay <laughs> yeah. might have to be, now. yeah, Ursay may have to be deleting some tweets. We'll see. We'll see. They're a fascinating study for like, I guess, qualifications of head coach. I don't know. I don't really know the right way to put it, but pretty funny and pretty predictable too, that there would be people who, especially Jim Ursay, if you if you know anything about him, that there would be some of those out there. I think we we talk about the Raiders now, um, diving into 
the most disappointing team. And, and this probably ties into to next coach fired. Like that could be a thing. But if you look around the NFL, the most disappointing team so far this year, I, I mean, you're looking at teams that have pretty bad records. Bears are three and seven, Falcons four and six, teams with no expectations. Panthers three and seven. You could argue the Browns at three and six. There's a legitimate argument there. Texans one and seven. Don't think so. Uh, the, there's a game with two teams that are that are interesting. So there's one, two, three teams that stand out to me. Um, and I think you could make an argument for a fourth. Sorry, four or five. Okay, here are my five. You ready? I would say Raiders two and seven battling for the top one. Broncos three and six battling for the top uh, top position there. Um, Cardinals four and six battling, uh, but not probably not the most disappointing Rams three and six, yeah. definitely battling uh, for that role. And then the, and the Packers at four and six, you know, even though they yeah. just came off a big win, they're right up there too. I mean, you, like I said, you could put the Browns in, but I thought when, when Watson went down uh, to, uh, sorry, his suspension went up to 11 games. A lot of people thought they would struggle to, to do, you know, the expectations just changed a little bit there, but I, to me, it's Raiders two and seven Rams, three and six Broncos, three and six, the sort of lead the charge there. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. And I still think it's the I still think it's the Raiders because man, they just can't over their last three games, they're averaging 13 points a game. Like for that offense, <laughs> even just having, you know, I, I know Waller's been hurt and now he's on IR, but like they've gotten and some really good games out of and yeah, Renfro I mean, for sure. But still, but you no know, but 13 points a game means and Josh Jacobs nothing. has been really good, you know? <laughs> He's like, been re- that's what I was just about to say. They've gotten great a great season out of Josh Jacobs who like was playing in the second half of preseason games and people were like what's going on? Are they going to like cut Josh Jacobs? Like there was a weird thing going on during preseason with him and now he's having a great season. And Devonte Adams is I mean still getting monster targets, having monster mm-hmm. games and like I, I I haven't watched a full Las Vegas game, but I've I've watched plenty of you know, 10, 15 minutes as I'm sort of jumping around on, on red zone or on, on Sunday ticket. And like, it is just to see them unable to move the ball at all on some possessions is just sort of like dumbfounding, uh, especially when you have a threat that is Devonte Adams. Um, so I would, I would go with that. And then you just see like, I mean, for, for that kind of emotion to come out of Derek Carr, uh, who has also had press conferences over the last couple of weeks, one where he was like, I have a lot I want to say, but I'm going to say it in private. <laughs> You're like, oh, okay. Like, there's <laughs> obviously just, you know, they're making. I think Devonte Adams said something like, "I, you know, I wish everybody in this building was as bought in as other people are." But it's just like, man, I don't know how. I don't really know how Josh McDaniels survives. Like, he got the dreaded vote of confidence from the owner, which you never want. You never want your owner to have to say. You know that uh, Rome wasn't built in a day. I'd be like, I'd actually rather you not say that publicly. So thank you. Um, so yeah, man, I I think I would go with them just because, like, when you look at the individual pieces, I mean, Derek Carr is never going to be elite, but it, you know he's better than a lot of these QBs. Um, and then you give him Devonte Adams, and you give him a strong running game, and you're just like, man, there should be something there. There should be more than 13 points per game over the last three games. You know. So it's just very. Um, I think I would put them up there. I think I think the Broncos are a real close second, um, just because they don't have that one outside weapon like a Devontae Adams. I think there's been a lot of shock about how Russell West, Russell Westbrook, both of them, Russell Wilson yes. has looked. But I, I still think the the Raiders take that top spot because man, when I watch that press conference and I'm like, oh he's oh he's crying, like it is week it is week ten, and I, I guess Josh McDaniels has broken. Uh, his quarterback. So that's always a great sign. 
it, it they're up there. I think that's pretty fair. Um, if we get a if we get a Broncos loss at home to the Raiders this week, oh. a Broncos country less ride yeah, might that, be yeah. taking the mantle. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they're right there too. So we'll keep an eye on this. Yeah, I think it goes Raiders, Broncos, Rams right now. I think you could yep. talk to me about putting the Rams in front of the Broncos, but when Stafford's been hurt out. I think there's a pretty big impact there. So I'll, I'll keep it that way. And we got the Cardinals kind of hovering at four and six. And then we still have the Packers hovering who have a Thursday night duo coming up with a team that is probably their worst nightmare, uh, a team that wants to run the football and, and cover the heck out of you physically. So we'll see how that shakes out. As far as our weird outcome schedule that we like to do, there wasn't much. The commander's win is obviously up there. Um, I think we even had kind of pinged that one as an interesting one. We uh, we had yes, um, but that's that takes the cake this week. The Packers are the only other interesting outcome game with a thirty-one twenty-eight win. But again, when you have Aaron Rodgers, it's really hard to be like, never saw that coming. So, um, definitely, Commanders is the one that takes on the cake this week. Colts Eagles Colts at home. We just talked about them. I would be stunned if they beat the Eagles. I would be like, if they beat the Eagles this week, I would probably give them a golf clap. Like. Okay, maybe Jeff Saturday. If they beat the, the like, if they beat the Eagles this week, I'm giving Jeff Saturday Coach of the Year off the two games. Yeah. I don't care. Like he, <laughs> he can, he can have it. He can have it. If he beats that would, the Eagles, that would be wild. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll fly to Indy and I'll, I'll give him the award myself. <laughs> that would be wild. That one's up there. There's not a ton of interesting ones. Lions compete with everybody. It seems like they just came back and beat yep. the Bears late. They're three and six, and they travel to the seven and two Giants. The seven and two Giants. And I'll give you a chance right now. You ready? Name yep. seven. I'll, you should. You probably will be able to, but I don't know if that it'll be super easy. Give me seven New York Giants football players. Oh man. Okay. Well, we'll go Daniel Jones. We'll go Saquon Barkley. Hold on. We'll First go... off, you said the two real quick. I want to pause you there. Did you see the clip of uh, uh, Saquon Barkley calling uh, Daniel Jones? Calling him Vanilla Vic. Vanilla yeah, Vic. absolutely. I did. Yep. Absolutely. It's, um, it's it's great. Also, it's so disrespectful to Michael Vick, but we're going to let that lie. We're, we'll just let that lie. Um, yeah, what a simmer. Okay, those are two. So, so Very yeah, fair. So those are two. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau. We'll go three. Yep, three. Oh, God. See, um, you're struggling on four. Ken, You'll get there, but Kenny, you're struggling. I will. Kenny Galladay. He's still there hanging out. I think he is. Collecting um, checks. Is, he is collecting checks. Uh, is Sterling Shepard still in the Giants? Believe he's hurt, but he is there. I'll let that slide. Okay. So we're at five. Um, Wandale Robinson, who they nice. who's a rookie, I believe. Um, he is having a decent six. little rookie year. I am outside of uh, Kayvon. I am blanking on literally anybody that plays on the defensive side of the ball for that team. But hold on. I really want to get seven. So think of a former uh, Brown. A former. Brown on defense, on defense, boister safety. They draft in the first round. Oh God, I'm blanking. Well, it once was Jabril, but he's in New England now, right? Oh God, see, I just butchered that. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> yeah, in New England. Say, I think you're referencing oh, Jabril, but he's a, he's a Patriot. Yeah, that's so, embarrassing. I just embarrassed honestly, myself. Man, I just know they're tackles, right? Uh, Andrew Thomas. Yes. The kid oh, that, Andrew that Thomas. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they, yeah, and then they drafted Evan Evan Neal, and uh, that's okay. the only the first round guy. Can you, do yeah. you know one of their safety? Like, could you name a safety? Do you know one of their starting safeties? I don't. Um, starting safeties. The kid from Alabama, Xavier McKinney. They the Browns. Uh, passed, okay. They I wanted well the Browns done. to take him, uh, but they ended up he he went a couple picks before the. Uh, 
um, Winfield Delpit uh, run there. So that that's that's it. But I couldn't name any more. I mean, their corners like it doesn't. Julian Love still play there? The uh, I think he does. Notre Dame kid. Um, I think he still plays. I think he moved to safety for them. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, who else? Let's let's keep going. See if we can get more. I don't know a single linebacker. Defensive line. Hmm. No. They have uh, the who who who's the. Uh, uh, something Leonard Leonard Williams I think is a defensive oh, lineman. Yep, for Leonard Williams I think is correct. Um, yeah. Wide receivers. You mentioned Wandale. They have Darius Slayton. I know that one because we were very interested Darius to Slayton. see if he was going to be cut before the year, and he's actually had a nice year. Uh, I actually think he had a very long touchdown catch last week. Uh, he did. He did the, um, against the they, Texans. So I, they also drafted Daniel Bellinger, a tight end from San Diego State, who I really liked. Um, that the Browns okay. didn't pick and, another defunct of time and i think he just went on the ir though so i don't really know it is a uh yeah and i mean obviously they had Kadarius tony and they shipped him off to kansas city where yeah. he immediately uh had a touchdown last week so good for them for doing that they're seven and two um, they're seven and two unbelievable giants. man it i keep waiting for the the curtain to go down but it's it hasn't mm-hmm. happened very plausible to be eight and two so that's a game to pay attention to as the lions travel there Steelers hosting at three and six hosting the five and four Bengals. boy if the Bengals lose that game no Minka Fitzpatrick, like uh, that's the the Bengals only lost the opener to the Steelers because they threw four terrible Joe Burrow interceptions and it still took a miracle finish to lose. I think Boswell kicked a bomb to win it, and that's it. So Jags, Dolphins, Bucks, Seahawks on buys this week, and um, yeah, that's 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 sort of it. And we'll keep an eye on those games, particularly Lions Giants. That's my favorite. I think there's a chance. There's a chance there. Um, we'll take our last break and then we'll come back. We got an MVP discussion. Then we'll do our. Uh, quick little look ahead at the snowball that might happen this weekend. And then a quick guardians and Indian, or sorry, quick guardians calves chat at the end as we like to do on these. We'll be right back. Okay. So MVP discussion is interesting, man. It is a weird year. Patrick Mahomes, really the only consistent quarterback. You could talk me into him very easily as he's guiding the chiefs past the Tyreek Hill era doing it well, but it is, if there's ever a year where, a non-quarterback could get it. It smells like this year, especially if Mahomes isn't stellar down the stretch. Um, Josh Allen's still flirting, but the last few weeks have not helped his cause and the elbow lingering stuff. So it's like Tyree Kill. I mean, last year I thought Cooper Cup should have gotten some attention. I know that it's almost been like yep. the MVP's a quarterback award and the offensive player of the year is to whoever else dominated. But like, I I like to talk about little. I think he's fine, but I... <laughs> The, the the space created for this quarterback in this offense is unbelievable. And Tyreek has changed everything and he's having a really stellar season, even when two has been out of the lineup. So like, I think Tyreek should be in the conversation. I think Justin Jefferson should be in the conversation. There's really not a running back. If, if the Browns were a five and four, six and three team right now, Nick Chubb would probably get some chatter, but there's not really a running back in the fold. But those two, I think wide receivers should be like as as that position has become so important, Jordan. I think they should be in the conversation for some of these awards, especially as I said, given the nature of the weird quarterback season we're seeing. Am I wrong on that, or, or what do you think? No, no, you're 100 percent right, man. I think the Tyreek stuff is is incredible. I mean, last year, his final year with the with the Chiefs, he finished that season with uh, 1,239 yards. Uh, he threw 10 games, so he's got seven left. He's at 1,148. So he's less than 100 yards to get to that total for all of last season. Um, I mean, his best year in Kansas City, he had almost 1,500 yards. That was 2018. And it feels like he's going to blow right by that. So 
Um, when you have somebody making that big of an impact and the impact he has just on making Tua's life easy, like you said, like Tua made some, to Tua's credit, made some very nice throws to guys who were not Tyreek and Jalen Waddle against the Browns. Like had that dot in the end zone that was a touchdown. Um, really, really nice throw in that back corner of the end zone. I forget who the receiver was that caught it, but really nice throw. Like he's, he made some throws, but just in general, the amount of, like Tyreek's ability, both him and Waddle, to just find that space in zones, um, to just make easy targets for him, the, the run after the catch, like all that stuff. I mean, they've completely changed people's perception of Tua and that entire offense. Um, so I don't think you're wrong. I mean, you hear a stat like, you know, Cooper Cup just got put on IR. He may he may be done for the season. He's going to have surgery on his ankle, which like which sucks. I don't know if the Rams were going to be able to make any noise in sort of the back half of the season, but um so with that news, I saw a stat that came out that said 35% of the team's total offense was provided by Cooper Cup. That's an, like, that is an insane stat. And it's because he's targeted so frequently. He's so good. Like he, he was that team, like you said last season, like he should have, you know, had some serious consideration. And so when you look at like volume stats like that, where, you know, you take some of these guys off their respective teams as a receiver and they just leave sort of a gaping hole you know, I think it's absolutely fair that some of these guys, like what is Kirk Cousins without Justin Jefferson or or even without Stefan Diggs when he was there? You know, like what is Tua looks like probably the Tua we've seen the past few years without Tyreek and Jalen Waddle there. So guys that have that kind of impact on the game and can completely turn teams around, um, you know, Cooper Cup turning L.A. into a, a Super Bowl winner, like it just is – I think they should absolutely get probably more consideration, especially as we go forward and these guys really just become – these just target monsters that you have to, if you don't know where they are in the field, if you don't have two DBs with their eyes, you know, shading over or trying to figure out where they are on every snap, like you're in trouble. And I think like that should have consideration, um, you know, for MVP stuff. So I think what Tyreek has done has been pretty unbelievable. And he didn't even have that good of a game against the Browns. Didn't even have that many targets, but he just opens, you know, you take him away and then it opens the field for everybody else. And, and I think we saw that in, in Tua really spreading the ball around to guys who are not their two marquee guys. So uh, I'm 100% on board with that. He he changes more than any single player in the league. I mean, Mahomes is up there for obviously changes how you defend, but like that guy changes everything about coverage. And when you mix him, then this is why the Dolphins deserve, even in the midst of what was such a weird, weird offseason, losing the pick and the Tom Brady Sean Payton recruiting saga, like to still get those two and have that much speed on the field together. It is such, it's just a game changer. It, 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 it is so hard to defend. So, um, but I, I, you know, it's last year they still had Waddle, but they didn't have Tyreek and you can just see the difference. There were times where to our earlier conversation, it felt like the Browns had only 10 defenders on the field. There were times where it felt like Miami had like, 12 guys on offense playing CFL rules. And and ironically, some of their motion stuff had very CFL feel to it where they were turning up. I thought at times they were turning up field and they're flying jet sweep motion too soon, to be honest, where it looked like they were going forward at the line uh, at at snap. But, but it was like the the Browns were so overwhelmed. They were just so, so, so overwhelmed. And, And you mix in the speed with that and the way they're playing and like, Mike McDaniel looks like a drug runner on the sideline. There, there's never been a more <laughs> Miami team. The shades, this, this man. Group. I can't oh. handle the Did you shades see his on the sideline. I'm sure you saw his shoes, right? You got to look him up if you did. I don't actually know didn't. if I looked, but I know he's. Um, I know he's a sneakerhead, so I'm sure he was wearing he some heat. Big sneakerhead had these custom salute to service uh, 
Nike's on, man. You got to look him up. There was like a picture of a man and a child on there. And I don't know if that was him with a, with like with his daughter or something. I don't know. I don't, I didn't dig into the story and I didn't really feel like I was too discouraged by what I was paying attention to with the Browns to look it up. But uh, yeah, that there's a, uh, he, he like looks like a... booger sugar defined as a, as a coach in the NFL. <laughs> and I mean that with all due respect, like as much respect. It's funny. As there's a, there's a mic'd up clip from this weekend. I don't know if you've seen it where Mike McDaniel is talking to two on the sideline and he's like, you know, what do you, what play do you want to run here? They must, I think they might've been in the red zone. And Tua basically is just like, I want to run whatever play you think will score us a touchdown because I trust you. Like, it, like I trust you deeply. Like do you call whatever you want because I think we're going to score what, whatever your call is. It's, it's been sort of fun to watch those two like become buds. Uh, yeah. after Tua basically <laughs> basically was the quarterback nobody wanted with Brian Flores and, and that situation got real awkward real fast. So it's nice to like see McDaniel, you know, sort of develop a rapport with him and, and their offense is flying. So yeah, no, it is because McDaniel looks so young because he's so skinny and then he just has these giant shades on the side. You, if you just were like a casual fan and they kept showing you, be like, why are they why are they showing, yeah, like a cocaine dealer on Miami's like number one cocaine dealer on the sideline? Like, what's going on? He looks on? like he's a like, super. Oh, no, that's, uh, that's his, co- yeah, he's a Secret Service member. That's actually their coach. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah this, this, you, this you guy can dress is. However a, you want with that offense. Yeah, he's a part of the Narcos division in uh, Miami. I don't know. It's, uh, it is, it is, it's a good story. I think if the Browns continue to falter and don't make it, I'm not usually a find another team guy because I just can't, but, you know, I'm pulling for Miami to, uh, who who deserves like I said the, the roster construction especially what they've done to the offense deserve a lot of credit for what they were able to pull off and they they sacrificed a lot right like they sacrificed a lot and from watching again the Bradley Chubb edition man with Jalen Phillips and Christian Wilkins like that's a that's a pretty formidable defensive line now yep. like it's it's uh they're they're a team to pay attention to as a serious serious threat to the Bills so um Speaking of the Bills, I think Miami will have to go up to the Bills to play them even later in the year. And we're talking about Snow City, brother. Like we're talking two to three feet, possibly, from everything I gather. We're, we're talking uh, biblical. Just, we're talking biblical stuff here, man. It's you know, Buffalo biblical, might not exist yeah. after this game. The way people are talking about it, I, I, I'm just curious. Initial <laughs> yeah. thoughts. I saw this week that Sean McDermott noted that they didn't even have enough people to practice today. So many people are out with illnesses. Uh, how are you feeling uh, about a Browns traveling to to Buffalo with uh, with this group and playing in a snowball and getting a win? Yeah, so I mean, I tweeted that I thought it was a big advantage to the Browns um, because even though they just got ripped to shreds uh, with the run game, because you know if it's going to snow, if it's going to be a lot of snow, or even if like it's not snowing but there's just a ton of like the field is terrible. I'm sure there's going to be wind. There's always wind in Buffalo Stadium. So, like, it's not going to be a great environment for throwing the ball. Um, Despite what happened in Miami, like, I would rather the Bills have to beat the Browns on the ground rather than, like, try to stop Josh Allen from throwing to Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis and and everybody else. Like, I just am not – I know I think Devin Singletary had a couple of rushing touchdowns last week, but but it was from, like, the five-yard – it was, like, out of shotgun at the five-yard line. So, I just – like – I'm still not afraid of the Bills running game. And if you have to make them lean on it, I still don't even think they're as talented as like Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson Jr. So like that was sort of my thinking where, listen, if if it's going to be harder for one of the best passers in the NFL to throw, that is good. 
<laughs> like I, I would prefer that. I don't care that the Browns just got destroyed on the ground. Like, I don't think that's going to, it can't, if it's as bad as it is uh, against the Bills as it was with the Dolphins, then I'll, you know, I will eat a ton of crow, but I just can't imagine like that's rock bottom and hopefully it's not going to be that bad again. Um, and I just would rather that than Josh Allen throwing the ball around to one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. So um, I, I feel like this is an opportunity for the Browns to write themselves with the running game after they, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was sort of jarring to watch them just not be able to do anything on the ground against the Dolphins. I mean, just like their bread and butter, really the thing that they've always been able to rely on. Um, they just couldn't get it going. Um, and so I think like you get the snow game, you can appease everybody by handing it off 40 times or whatever you want to do, depending on how bad the weather is, you know, take some shots off play action. But like, I just think now, do I think they're going to win? No, but do I think like, they have a chance with the weather forcing Josh Allen to hand it off more than the bills do. And the bills do not run the ball a lot in general. Like that's not their strength. Then yeah. Like it should be an advantage to the Browns. Am I, am I crazy for saying that? No, I don't think so. I I mean, I I keep thinking about how happy Deshaun Watson is probably to not have to make this trip. Oh, to avoid this one. Yeah, absolutely. Avoid this one. Um, yeah, like I, I mean, it's anything in the snow when it gets really weird, super wet rain or snow like this, anything can happen. I mean, anything can happen. It, it's just who can handle the elements the best. And yeah, I mean, Cleveland, you would expect that Cleveland with Nick and Kareem would be able to run the ball and um, handle that. You know, you never know, too, because it's like you're, you're, like, you're like Buffalo and Cleveland, two teams that should be used to the snow. You know, no, no, they're not. Browns have a ton of Southern college guys. Like it's not like these guys just being from team, the franchise being based in Cleveland means that they're going to be somehow magically ready to play in this game. And the same for the bills guys. I mean, they're a little more used to it, but like it, we'll just have to see. I mean, these are, they're truly coin flips, a snap over someone's head, uh, any number of weird things that can happen to, uh, to totally change the, the outcome of a game. You know, if you go back and look at that Joe Juravicious game back, what was that? 2007, uh, where he where he had that yep. great game against the Bills there. There was a snap over the head of a of a punter. There's there's just a whole bunch of weird stuff, man. So um, I do. I'm with you. It does neutralize. I do like neutralizing the team with the better quarterback, which will clearly be the Bills. So um, it could happen, though. It could happen. And I think I think if it's as bad, some people say it's not going to be as bad as some of threatened it's going to be. And I, I mean, I'm just thinking you need to prepare for the worst, and I'm sure they are preparing for the worst. So we'll see what happens. But I think you're right. I think you're right that. It is uh, it is always good to neutralize throwing when you're facing Josh Allen. It just is. So we'll see if the Bills get creative in any sense that they they end up doing some like read option stuff or quarterback design run game, especially with the fragility of Josh's elbow right now. I, I'll just be yeah, just be really interested to see how they handle that, and maybe we see some Case Keenum. I'm not sure. So anyway, let's switch to the last topic, which is Guardians and Cavs. Um, I want your Cavs update. Just give me. I don't have a. I don't have any takes really on the Cavs. Just. I guess tell me it's going to be okay. They've been struggling. They haven't won in a while. It's going to be okay, right? They're yeah. going to figure this out. It is. It is going to be okay. Um, you know they they they've had they've still had guys so in and out of the lineup. I mean, I think now Darius and Donovan have still only played four or five games together so far. Like you know, Donovan missed the game against the against the Timberwolves, and like the Cavs sort of slept slept walk through that game. It was a, a Sunday matinee, well, not matinee, early evening, a 6 p.m. Eastern affair. Like, they just didn't look like they were ready to play basketball in that first half. Um, first game back from the West Coast trip, right? Isn't that a thing? Yeah, they just, like, it, it, it's a huge thing. A long, and any road trip, if you're on the road for five, six games, like, that's just a lot. It's a lot of traveling, a lot of sleeping in hotels. So 
Um, you know, their schedule has been tough. I mean, they played, you'll be listening to this on Thursday, but you know, uh, Wednesday night they played the Bucks, and I don't feel great about that outcome. They've just, and it's in Milwaukee. Like they, they just have had a really tough sort of schedule over these last few weeks. Um, so that's one thing. And two, it's just like one of their losses that I was really upset about now doesn't actually look that bad. The Sacramento Kings have actually been playing really good basketball lately. They just dropped a hundred and. 53 points 152 points on the on the nets who are in a complete disarray they're like the las vegas raiders of the of the nba but like that's a, I mean in regulation i don't care how bad somebody's defense is you score 150 plus points you're offensively you're doing something very right so that was a that was a loss i was frustrated by now they didn't play great defense in that game but the kings are, are showing themselves to actually be a fairly talented team um so the i the, uh, miami dolphins of the nba the Kings offensively, it checks out, man. They're running and gunning. Like they are, they're putting up a lot of threes. Former Cavs coach Mike Brown doing his thing over there. Shout out to the Kings. They're a fun watch if you uh, if you happen to stumble upon them randomly on on League Pass or if they're on if they're ever on national television, you should watch them. Um, they're fun. Not, but real quick, so last no, Miami I, Dolphins I, playoff yeah. win to go. What year? Oh boy. Um. Sometime in the 90s? I don't know. No, actually, they did win one in 2000. Is it more recent? I would have guessed like okay. 2004, okay. but they, they won a last playoff 2000. game in like 2000. And I imagine the Kings was, are pretty uh, close to that, right? Like the Kings were like 01 Oh, the or Kings something have like the, yes, the Kings have the longest drought, um, I think, in any in any sport, I believe, yeah. if, I'm, if I'm not wrong. I, and I do think it is 2001. Who was the um, who was the quarterback for that Dolphins team that won in 2000? Do you know? Man, I would think like maybe like Jay Fiedler or Brock Heward, two thousand Dolphins. I'm I'm looking it up real time, giving you guys an answer here. They went that year eleven and five. They won the wild card over the Colts, lost twenty seven nothing the divisional round. Jay Fiedler nailed it. Damon Heward, the backup. Jay Fiedler, the starter. Lamar Smith, that's an incredible. Remember Lamar Smith, fourteen times. The only reason incredible, I remember is I had an uh, uncle. I had an uncle who lived in Hudson. Who was uh? Who we'd go visit all the time up there in the Cleveland suburbs. He actually took me to my first Indians game back in the day. Um, he was from Miami, so he was a huge Dolphins fan. So I always remember how disgruntled he was when Marino retired. And I remember that <laughs> it was like a feedler. There was a there was a, just a hodgepodge of guys who were there after. Uh, I mean, after great guess by you. To be yeah. honest, that's a great that was a great guess. It's live on um, live on air, so I got that li- live on that. air. That was beautiful. That makes up for you thinking Jabril was still on the Giants, so you're even now. <laughs> that was embarrassing. I still feel bad about that. Um, yeah. So anyway, no. The overall message is the Cavs are going to be okay. They're gonna. They'll probably lose to Milwaukee, and then they'll sort of right themselves. Um, get everybody healthy. Jared Allen is still out, so like they just they just gotta. You know, it's a when you add somebody like Donovan Mitchell it, and change how you play offensively, uh, and add somebody that needs the ball like that, like it's just going to take time. So they're, they're very talented. They still in a lot of advanced metrics are very, you know, top five, top 10 in a lot of areas. So I, I'm not worried, uh, and excited to see kind of how they continue to sort of get into a rhythm. All right. I like that. Very good. Very good words of encouragement about the Cavs coming out of this thing. The guardians, big news, Tito AL manager of the year deserved. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Tito. Shout out to Tito, who a lot of people still don't like, but you know, whatever. You know, it's uh, can't make everybody <laughs> the, happy. The disconnect, world. the disconnect between a guy winning manager of the year and people on Twitter who are like he's the worst manager in all of sports is just is pretty. It's a pretty incredible thing. So I'm happy he won it, just because there are people with the hyperbole on Twitter that were just completely out of control, nonstop. It was terrible. Big moves, not really a ton to talk about. They did make some forty man decisions. 
Um, they traded Carlos Vargas, who's a flame-throwing right-hander who's coming off some injuries to Arizona for Ross Carver. Know nothing about Ross Carver. They traded the big news is they traded Nolan Jones, who is a very promising yep. draft pick prospect coming up and saw some time in the bigs last year. Too many strikeouts. Not surprised because the strikeout stuff is not what they prefer these days. They traded him to Colorado for a young switch inning infielder named Juan Brito, who had 11 homers, hit like 285 in high A ball. Uh, some stolen bases, like 17 has a nice contact profile with some growing power stuff there. So it's clear that they want to sort of push off some of the, see some of these other young guys, the Freemans of the world, the brought Aaron Brachos of the world. I think I'm pronouncing Bracho right. The last name, it could be Bracco, but uh, yeah, sort of see their younger infielders. And then maybe Brito's the guy coming up after that. They also added Angel Martinez, who's a 20 year old kid. Who's a switch hitting infielder uh, who is a lot of, a lot of uh, minor league study types, very excited. They added him to be 20 and be on the 40 man tells you enough. They like him a lot. And then Joey Cantillo, who's a left-handed starter, had some, some, some time in Akron this year was pretty good. And Tim Heron. So um, the, they DFA to Anthony ghost who, I, I mean, I forgot Anthony ghost was a position player before he was a pitcher. <laughs> yep. Interesting story. Yep. Um, and then Kirk McCarty. So no, nothing really big, you know, there hasn't even really big anything, all too big. I think we hit last week on the contract the Mets gave Edwin Rios. So there's there's not a ton. I think the trade the Blue Jays made a trade for Teoscar Hernandez. Um, yeah, that was a to, big move for them. Sent him to the Mariners for a couple relievers. As it's clear that the Blue Jays know there's some big contracts coming up for Bichette and Vlad Jr. So um, you know, I'm mean, not much yet, but it's heating up. It's going to start heating up real soon. Yeah, I think the Teoscar one was a fair, was probably the biggest one so far. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's a great, the Mariners, you know, between getting Luis Castillo um, at the deadline and now um, with Teoscar, I mean, they're going to have a fun, they're going to have a fun team next year. So it's cool to see a team, you know, that has really struggled to, to even make the playoffs for a long time, sort of, you know, put things together. Yeah, the only thing is, you know, I was, I don't know if I was surprised by the Nolan Jones thing. I obviously we've, we've talked about how, you know, they had to start, they were going to have to start offloading some of these prospects in, in places where they had a log jam for playing time. And I mean, the main reason they sent Nolan Jones back down after he was up for a little while, aside from sort of the strikeouts was they just couldn't, you know, they couldn't get him consistent at bats. Um, you know, they put him in the outfield, they put him in right field. I think there was some talk about, okay, well, what if we put him at first base for a little bit, but like, there was just no, there was no room for him. Um, you know, I, I liked him. I thought like they are, the strikeout thing was obviously an issue, but you would hope that that's something that, you know, as he matures and gets more at bats at the, at the big league level, like that would, he would cut down on. Um, I mean, he looks, he looks like a dude and you don't want to, you know, that's obviously not a metric, but like Nolan Jones just look like a guy that could eventually, you know, be hitting, you know, 25, 30 home runs and, um, you know, athletic for a guy at his size. But, um, you know, I, I think it's fair when people say like, hey, this front office has a track record of finding guys that fit the profile of what they want to do, uh, especially on offense and, and striking out a lot. is not one of them. Um, I think you, you know, they're probably a little scarred from Fran Mill Reyes's uh, first half of the season this year. So like, I get it. You don't want to have uh, a bat in the middle of the lineup that um, is striking out and not hitting for enough power to sort of offset that. And I think that infielder that they got from the Rockies, I was doing some reading because I obviously like I don't know the Rockies farm system, so I have no idea who this guy was, Um, but is a really, really good contact hitter, Um, does not strike out a lot, and they hope that some power comes. So like they look for that sort of contact first, the guys that are, you know, have a good eye for the strike zone and are going to make contact. And and then they hope you can build off that. So it fits the profile and uh, you know, Nolan Jones probably didn't, but I, 
but I thought he had some good moments and I, I was kind of bummed when they sent him back down. I, I was hoping he would get more at bats and, and figure himself out, but you know, they stick their profile, man. And, and at this point, like who it's, it's hard to criticize it after the, the year that they just had. Yeah. There's always that Nolan Jones picture where he's like standing up on the terrace watching Tristan McKenzie's debut. And I thought he really yeah, liked yeah. being a guardian. Like I just, I was fascinated, hopeful that he would turn into something. And, you know, to your point, you do trust him. There's so many examples of them winning trades like these, the Clevenger one, is a prime example. I mean, there's all the way back, like all the way back to getting Cliff Lee and Grady Sizemore, all, you know, for Bartolo and change and like the Ben Brassard for Senchu Chu type trades. Like they more often than not win these deals, but that will be the single most interesting one to uh, look back on in the next five years and see if they won that trade because both of those guys are talented, but it's sort of seeing which one's going to pan out in any sort of way that matters, you know? Yeah, and you sort of think, I mean, it makes me think of like, you remember the Clint Frazier trade where they sent him to, to the Yankees in 2016 to get Andrew Miller. And at the time, Clint Frazier was like a dude, like, oh, this guy's going to hit 30 home runs consistently. He's going to be an absolute beast. And I mean, he just has not, he's had injuries um, and he's sort of just faded, you know, faded away. He's, he's no longer with the, I know the Cubs picked him up this season. I don't know if they retained him. Like, I don't know what he's doing, but he just was, you know, he went from being one of the, most hype prospects the the guardians have had in a long time to just sort of nothing. So you just never know. Um, and that will, you know, but it will follow along with Nolan's career. Like we did with Clint Frazier and um, you know, you don't wish that he struggles. Like I hope he flourishes in, in Colorado, but they're sort of making the bet that, you know, he's just going to be kind of an average, an average to maybe slightly above average guy. And, and they're going to, you know, the pieces they got back are going to make an impact on their team. So, um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but it does remind me a little of the Clint Frazier things. He was a similar type of bat where, um, you know, you thought the power was going to be there. You thought he was going to be a mainstay sort of, you know, in the outfield for you. And it just never, it didn't happen in New York. And, and I don't know, you know, what his next move is. So. Yeah, that's a great one. It's actually a really great one to compare. Uh, you know, and like, like you said, we, they, they deserve our trust on these until, you know, until it doesn't, and it's not to say they're going to win every single one. It could be one you look back on. And there have been, I think some over the years, like Richie Sexton, Jeremy Burnett's way back, right? This is a different regime altogether, but there have been some that they've let go that they shouldn't have let go. But, um, that's kind of the life you lead when you're a small market organization is you're going to win some of these and lose, but they win a whole hell of a lot more of these than they lose. So, um, all the best to Nolan, uh, a guy that I've one of the, you know, been one of the more fun, like I remember, I think one of the closest paying attention to prospects I probably ever did was Carlos Santana. I just absolutely love tracking that dude through the minors and watching him play in Columbus here where I am. And Nolan was up there. I really enjoyed watching Nolan, um, uh, you know, take strides. And I've, uh, I've, I've really hoped he was going to be, and it still could. I mean, his career is super undefined. It just, uh, just like you yep. said, it'll be interesting to see what that one shakes out looking like. But there's so many good young bats in this organization that I don't, have a ton of FOMO with Nolan either, which is, um, you know, which says something to what they've built here from a prospect standpoint. So um, that's it. There could be more trades to come though. There's, there's still certainly pieces that need to move and guys that are going to be interested. It's a hot stove, Jake. It's a hot stove. I continue to keep my fingers crossed for a Jose Abreu. That would just be the uh, God, that'd be the perfect signing. So anyway, it's going to pick up and I can't wait to see what they do. Cavs maybe upset the bucks. You never know. It could happen. That'd be fun. Uh, but nonetheless, you heard it from this this podcast. Jordan says they're going to get back on track. So that's why he's here. That's why he's the best. We appreciate you, Jordan, as always, man, on these on these midweek shows, brother. 
Hey man, always a lot of fun. Um, appreciate you always having me on and, and being flexible. So yeah, we'll uh, let's get this Cavs upset. Let's uh, let's win a weird game in the snow for the Browns and and get some good vibes back. Um, I don't know if I believe that as I'm saying it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah, because we want to be back. We're tired of being down. We let's do. We do. Let's find a way we to do. have fun conversations about these Cleveland sports teams. So uh, maybe next week will be better. We'll keep our fingers crossed for Jordan. For me, uh, I appreciate him being on the show today. Appreciate you guys checking out the OBR's written content and, you know, checking out this podcast every single day. We'll be back tomorrow with John Colosimo. Thanks for stopping by today. Have a great day. Be safe and go Browns. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.